Welcome to the Stanley Street Social Podcast. Uh, it's Max Gorn, Campbell Flakemore here, our fearless leader. Alex Clements is on the slopes of Maryville in France, we believe, so he's not joining us today. But um, Max, welcome to the show. It's great to it's great to be here after a big couple of weeks. We're going to touch on Flanders. We're going to touch on Roubaix. We're going to touch a little bit on uh, Itzulia, the tour of the Basque Country, um, which was going on in the in the background amongst all the big classics. And if we're feeling it at the back end of this podcast, we might even dive into a little bit of transgender cyclocross sort of stuff. <laughs> if we're feeling it, is what you're if saying. We're, if we're feeling it, I mean, this is perfect for Alex. He sent, you know, he sent in uh, a little message to us saying, "Boys, if you fancy it, why don't you talk about this?" Conventionally, <laughs> he's uh, he's not here <laughs> for those sort of juicy topics. Where is anyway, he? Matt, curiosity. What's that? Sorry. Where is Elbow out of curiosity? I think it's Maryville, um, okay. in the, in the French Alps. He's recently been in Norway. Um, he was in teens in the French Alps a couple of weeks ago. So he's, he's really living at large at the moment. This podcast yeah. must be bringing in a fair bit of cash. So we're yet to see any of it ourselves. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we can, uh, say something after, after this one breaks the records for views. Yeah. Firstly, how are you going? Your knee seems to be on the mend. Uh, Brody Grundy's doing really well, so you're obviously itching to get back in the side before he goes um, and cranks out another massive game. Yeah, he's one more good game away from me being redundant, I think. Um, so, no, look, I'm, my knee's good. I uh, I um, did a session today. Uh, if the Essendon game was maybe a tad later, like the Saturday game, obviously, but if it was like a Monday or a Tuesday game, I'd probably play it. So I'm probably just a few days behind that Essendon one. Um, so hopefully Richmond, but um, I still have to tick some boxes. So if I don't tick those boxes before Richmond as well, then I won't be at Richmond. So it's all um, a box ticking type thing, which is a boring answer, Cambo. And I like to give the Stanley Street Social uh, podcast loyal listeners a bit of a leg up sometimes, but um, I don't have an answer, but I'm picking Richmond if I tick the boxes. Okay, and what's that going to be? That's that's is that three weeks or four weeks? No, that's that's the next week after this Essendon game, but that'll end up being three games. Okay, um, that was about the forecast. That was the forecast, wasn't it? Four yeah, six. You can, inclu- three? you can include the Brisbane game as well, which I didn't play. As of course. The game. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, lucky, lucky. Okay. That's good news for for everyone, um, including including yourself. Um, let's circle back to Flanders, which seems like it was a little while ago. Uh, we didn't get a chance to link up in between Flanders and Roubaix. Um, some prefer Flanders, some prefer Roubaix. I'm more of a Roubaix man myself, which we'll touch on in a moment. But the Ronde was it was it was a great race. We got what we wanted. We saw the big three go head to head. Um, I had Machu as my favourite, um, but Poggi, he was down in Monaco. He was soaking up the sun, and in the end, that was probably the difference. Yeah, I finished um, I finished our last, uh, for those loyal listeners, the last podcast, tipping Tadej for this. Um, I was pretty strong on it. For some reason, I just thought the amount of climbing that is in Flanders just favoured Tadej a tiny bit, and it turned out, so that was the case. Was was Matthew, um 
really on his game in terms of how good he was. I don't know. I, I think Tadej was the best of the three. Obviously, that that's come out of the results. Um, Woods, I don't think Flanders is him while Tadej and Matthew are riding. I don't think Flanders is a real Van Art type event. Um, it was an interesting race. They let a massive break up the road, which is um, full of some strong riders like Stefan Kuhn, Paulus, Casper Asgreen, Fred Wright, um, Matteo Trenton, I think, was there. So there was some, some genuinely strong riders that they ended up having to catch, um, and they caught them and they passed them. And uh, it, was a, it was a really good really good uh, rem, rem edition of Flanders. What were your thoughts on, on Jumbo Visma? Obviously, like the lead-up races, they've won them all. Um, and we were saying, would they trade them all in for a for a win at Flanders? Um, didn't end up on the podium. I know Van Aert was fourth, got rolled in the kick by by Pedersen, but you'd you'd have to think that they'd be pretty disappointed to. I mean, of course, winning was probably a par score for them, and to not make the podium, it's probably it's marking harshly, but it's probably a, a fail. Yeah, I mean, Alberson, I think's been trumping them. In some races, um, I mean, we'll get to Paris-Roubaix, which uh, they trumped them again. Um, I actually think Yumbo were the, were the lead here in Flanders. Um, maybe a little bit of UAE, but um, they just they didn't have the right man for the right race. They um, they ended up pretty strong. I think they had three or four inside the top 15. Um, they rode relatively strong on the front uh, for majority of the day, but they just didn't have the guy to finish it off. I think that's what people forget. Like in cycling, you can say you've got the strongest team, we've got the good numbers, but if you come up against a guy like Tadej and Machu was also there causing issues, like, you know, there's only so much you can do with numbers. But that last time up at Quaramont when Tadej went from the bottom, like I think it's maybe four, five-minute effort, like, you know, that's that's a long time to be riding it. I'm not sure what sort of power they're doing, but... Uh, it is Tardesh's sort of bread and butter, um, which is crazy as a Tour de France winner. Um, someone who I think realistically now can win all five monuments. I think getting Flanders probably gives him the confidence that he can do Roubaix in the future. I think he's the lightest Tour of Flanders winner uh, maybe ever. I think he's 67 kilos, um, but still has enormous horsepower to just rip through those gobbles. Yeah, how's that happening? Like, if you look at some old renditions of Flanders and you see, like, Boone and Cancellara, these guys who are genuine power to weight, and now there's a 67-kilo uh, Tour de France winner. Uh, Tour de France winner? Yeah, Tour de France winner, and so there's Pogacar. Dominant. I mean, it's, it's what a time to be alive as a cycling fan. We're watching... Uh, like it's not Chris Froome going and doing Flanders. Chris Froome never did. I'm sure he did it once, but he never was competitive in Flanders. Where all of a sudden we got Pog. We're probably going to have Vinegard at some point because he's going to want to beat Pog all the time. So he's probably going to come. Remco, as we'll get into later in the pods, is coming to the other classics. Um, so they're all coming, uh, which is which is which is exciting. Do you think he can do all five? I. I... People say that San Remo is probably the toughest to win, and I, I'd agree. Um, he's had a couple of cracks at it now with some good conditions on the on the Poggio, tailwind, a little bit of luck needs to go your way there. I think he can do. Um, I'm not sure whether he's – I know he's got three now, does he? He's got three monuments. But he's anyway, definitely won Lombardi. Um, Lombardi, Liège. Um, I'm sure he's won Liège and now Flanders. 
But I, I think San Remo will be will be the toughest. But if anyone can do it, this bloke can do it. Well, it's just San Remo is the one where he probably can't match the wattage that's required that Matthew or Woot can hit. So um, even Pedersen is probably a better go, uh, go, even though he wasn't there for this San Remo, like uh, Garner was. So like, there's just guys that can hit some genuine wattage. Um, and it's not too long of a climb. Little do I know, I've never even uh, been to San Remo, but um, certainly sounds like it's an easier climb compared to some others um, with our boy Caleb, usually in the front group uh, until the big three have made their way to that classic. Let's roll through the rest of the top ten in Flanders. Vanderpol, impressive. Pedersen has had a super campaign without getting... Getting a really big result, Van Aert fourth, and then we start rolling into some some names like Powers, is a you know top five at Tour de Flanders. Fred Wright's in the top ten. Jorgensen, Stefan Kung being super consistent. Asgreen was also in the top ten. Sort of, is that something that Quickstep can hang their hat on? A top ten at Flanders, probably not, based on what they've done in the past. But for this year, maybe they would have taken it. Asgreen looked incredibly strong in that race, and it, it did lead me to think he was going to produce something at Paris-Roubaix, which we'll get down to at some point, but he just had some harsh luck at Paris-Roubaix. But the the, 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 the two that are very impressive are Powerless. Powerless has turned into a nice classic rider, which is mm-hmm. um, something that I potentially didn't see. I actually thought he could maybe... He seemed to be in the wheels and the brake knowing Pog was coming, and then when the climb was coming and Pog was going to go, you look at that field and that brake that was there, you're like, maybe Palace is the only one that can go with him, but um, he wasn't. He, no one could go with him. Um, and the other one is Matteo Jorgensen, George probably a soft J, who, who, who knows, but um, probably the, him and Quinn Simmons are the only two really flying the flag for USA in the Palatine at the moment. Um, but he's generally flying the flag. He looks like he can climb, and now he looks like he can classic. So similar to Powerless, like um, those. Are funny enough, they're both Americans, but <laughs> they seem to be doing well in the classic season. But I'll also will see them hopefully in a top ten of the Giro or something. So um, they're the two that impressed me. Fred Wright, he had so much scope. They look like Bahrain sort of messed it up. They look like Mahorich is their leader for every race, and they. Fred Wright sort of just sits back and doesn't do much. So good to see Fred Wright in the top ten as well. Thoughts on the crash? I'm not sure the the name of the Bahrain rider that went up the inside, went to a swamp, and then um, caused the entire peloton to to crash. Um, we hear a lot these days that there's no respect in the peloton anymore. These young blokes are coming in and and causing issues. But this was this was a wild manoeuvre, and he deserved to be. Um, uh, removed from the race. Do you feel that we need something in, in UCI cycling, professional cycling, something like the MRO to come in, have a look at the incident and uh, hand down a couple of weeks? Score review. Uh, I am... Um, now, forgive me, because I've, I've been on the road, but not in a competitive peloton. I've been in a social peloton. Um, I feel like while I watch these races... Everyone takes a shortcut at some point, including the cobbles. No one wants to ride on the cobble and they ride on the gutters, they ride on the footpath, they ride on whatever's available. Did this guy just get it wrong? But everyone does this, but he's been absolutely fried for doing it. Like, I get he's taken out a whole peloton, including some genuinely good riders. I think Tim Wellens was one of them who was going to be Pog's right-hand man. Turns out he didn't need him, but... 
Um, but also other people were doing what he was doing. He just stayed for too long and all of a sudden he was in the swamp. So <laughs> I agree the right penalty, I mean, live and die by your actions. The right penalty was given because he failed. But the amount of cyclists that came out vocally against him on Twitter, like, I'm sure you've cut the corner at some point. Like, it's, it's a very common thing in the peloton. You got shredded on Twitter. Big time. Absolutely shredded. <laughs> And then he had to come out and apologise, which he which he had to do. And you're right, people get on the footpath, cut corners, which I have no problem with, by the way. But if you bring down an entire peloton, I think you got to, you know, like you said, you got to live and die by your actions. And um, yeah, it was good to see him get evicted from the race. Um, let's start swinging the axe here. Astana, we've been on their back all year, and. For good reason, because Tour of Flanders, I think it was, it was Yevgeny Feridov was their top finisher, 63rd at the group at 11 minutes down. What are they doing? Uh, I'm going to be careful because as we're recording this, tonight could be their first win. Cav is going into a bunch sprint at Sicily with, I think Viviani is his only competitor. So they could get a win tonight, but... Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not like Gianni Moscon came rushing in for Paris Roubaix um, and gave them a 35th. Um, let's just, I'll just give you a little update of where a starter is sitting currently. So 18 teams will remain as pro tour teams, um, or is it 16? The bottom two get relegated. Uh, so they're currently sitting 25th. They're behind teams like Tudor Pro Cycling. Q365 Pro Cycling, they only would have got their points from Mochetti's amazing win. Bardiani, Unox, who's got Christoph, who's getting their results. Total Energies. Israel, who I, who I actually haven't seen yet as well, are a long way in front of them. Team Yako, who, uh, Jaco Alulia, who also haven't done much apart from a couple of Grinnewagon wins. Um, so they're a long way behind. And, Dare I say it, a team that is only five points behind them is Bolton Equities Black Spoke. Who? Um, who I, I'm pretty sure, are they a New Zealand or Australian team that races in uh, Australia mainly? Fuck. That's, it's amazing. So Asana, um, Asana Australia, going on team rankings. So these are the points from the cobbled classics. So obviously Yumbo, Alpes and UAE, they're way out in front. Like they've they've, they've tunned up. Trek Segafredo fourth. Sudal Quickstep are behind Movistar and Groupana FDJ. So Movistar outscored Sudal Quickstep in the in the cobbled. Um, and we go down. Astana a third last, and the only teams behind them are Human Powered Health. <laughs> and Bolton Equities Black Spoke. So Team Flanders, who was the team created by the Flanders organisation, scored more points on Astana in the Cobble Classics. So that's where Astana had for their Cobble Classics. Um, so Dale Quickstep's another story amongst that. And even Bahrain. Bahrain weren't even in the top 10. Mm-hmm. They have some genuine powerhouses. Um, so I just thought that was an interesting update on the teams. There's a whole two years. I think it goes for two years. So um, they're not going to get relegated for a while. Sana had a chance for Litsenko and Cavendish to save the day, but yeah, yeah. I'll be waiting. Yeah, their list manager, whoever that is, probably needs a bit of a clip because um, they've been on the slide for a couple of years. Yes. But the, I mean, the big one there is Sadal, and it gets into Paris Bay. 
they need Remco and Alaphilippe to pull out a liege best on liege and um, a Laflesh or an Ansel. They need to do something over these three these three days. I think Remco is probably good for it somewhere along the line here. I think he's he's yeah. the guy. We talked about Alaphilippe in the last pod. Is his best behind him? It feels a little bit early to be making those sort of comments. But given what he's served up this year, it's not, you know, it's not a ridiculous comment to make. Um, let's move on to Shelter Price, uh, the midweek yeah. Sprinters Classic between Tour of Flanders and Parry Roubaix. Some riders just choose it as a uh, an opportunity to spin the legs out in between, get the Ks and the legs. Others, um, it's sort of like the Sprinters um, showdown for the season. Everyone was there. Um, who's who? And the guy who is having some sort of season, we could say that he's probably the best sprinter in the world at the moment. Jasper Philipson was was too good, and as was his team, um, Alberson. Yeah, they I, they did put him in a good spot. I actually thought Caleb's team were best on in the last sort of 5K. Uh, I thought Lotto had a really, really good lead-in. And then, once again, Caleb... Callum just lost the wheel. It was it was interesting. Phillips and sort of cut in front of him, and um, he took the lead out. And and Caleb, one of Caleb's things is he doesn't ride unless he thinks he can win. So then he falls back to seventh. That's certainly not the right number that he should have got. He probably was a top three performance. Um, but Jasper, as we saw in Paris Bay, the guy's in hot hot form, um, and it's making. Again, Sadal, I don't want to get on them so much, but they've got Mulier and Jakobsen. They can't do what Philipson's doing, and Philipson's also beating them in sprints. Matthew van der Poel was incredible with the, with the lead out here, really just showing that he was just tuning up that form. Sam Wellsford was coming um, with a wet sail as well in this sprint. He's sort of, you know, he's having a good year. He's won a couple of races in Argentina. I mean, second at Shelter Price with this sort of field. Shows that you know I'm not sure what's on his program this year, but he'd have to be putting his hat in the ring for a for a start at either the the Giro or or maybe even even the Tour uh, with the form that he's showing. Well, I think if Denisi's still got the senior card, I don't think he has it any anymore. I haven't seen much from Alberto Denisi over this sort of campaign yet, so they'll be taking Wellsford wherever they take their sprinters. Obviously, Roman Bardet is going to have. Um, some sort of crew behind him for, um, I'm not sure where he's going. Hopefully the Duro, because it's a, he's a chance to podium. Um, so that could mean Wellsford could be, could be a tour debut. Um, Cav finishing third in this, um, which leads me back to, uh, the team rankings. If you take away Cav's 125 points for third that he got in that race, Astana, uh, 32nd behind a Colombian team, Team Medellin. Mm. <laughs> and I, I'm not sure what that flag is, but it's South American and it's a Rujaj online insurance team. So, um, thank you, Kev. Thank you, Kev. Oh my God. This is a real concern. This is good. This is good for us, though. We can, uh, we can monitor their progress tightly yes. as the season yes. progresses. Um, so that was the midweek. It was Philipson, and just just before we uh, we move on to Roubaix, the you know the race that was a couple of days ago. We're recording this on a Wednesday evening. Um, before Shelter Price, I put into uh, the Stanley Street group. Boys, just have a look at Philipson for Roubaix, and this was before Shelter Price, based off of his form at um, 
classic de Brew de Panna, where he was incredible in filthy weather, driving breakaways, winning bunch kicks, fourth at Dwar's door. The form was good, the team morale was good, and the the win at Shield Price, the writing was on the wall, the value was there, I hope you jumped on. Uh, I, I, of course I did. I, I would never leave a tip go out. Um, so he was one of a couple of Paris-Roubaix bets. I had the other one was Mads Pedersen. So I was a bit, um, I was a bit flat that Mads, uh, wasn't able to get there over the line. But yes, it was good value. Um, that was an amazing Paris-Roubaix. Like we say it, I say it almost every time Paris-Roubaix has a race. Like it's a, it's phenomenal the amount of action. The bang for buck that you get from tuning in for the whole race, um, which I did. We, I was over in Perth watching the boys play, and as we finished, we got on the team bus. I opened my laptop, and bang, we're at K, 160 kilometres to go, 170 kilometres to go. So um, I watched it the whole way, and then we caught the red eye home, and as the plane was about to take off, the race finished. So it was almost a perfect, like, six-hour window of watching the race. Yeah. Um, and it was... It was, what was that? It was Alperson. It was genuinely, so Yumbo, Yumbo tried, and to be fair, they were strong. So Van Art was strong. And do you agree? Van Art, Van Art was strong. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure we'll get to that final in a moment where. And they, yeah. So they had Christophe Laporte up the road with Van Art when he attacked at the, a bit, there was about 100k to go. 100k like, to go. Yeah, yeah. They jammed it after the, after the break taking. Best part of 100k to go as well. Correct. Um, so Laporte and Van Aert went with just Van der Poel and Degengold. So it was a group of four. Was, Kung, Laporte, there, was Kung there at that stage? Not yet. Kung was with Pedersen and Garner. Um, and then, oh no, Kung was, you're right. It was five. Um, and then Laporte punches. So all of a sudden Laporte punches and he goes behind the gun, and then also behind the Phillips the Laporte's long way behind. So now it's Van Aert by himself. And then that group waits up, and Venetian Philipson joins that group. And all of a sudden, it's a two-to-one split to then go to a three-to-one the opposite way. So Yumbo were incredibly unlucky there. I, you can look at it two different ways. Alperson outplayed them and they were too strong, but Yumbo outplayed them initially and then had some bad puncher luck. That's what we were talking about before off air with uh with Roubaix. It it's it's my favourite race, but it does feel like there is a little bit more luck involved. Like, you know, if you go through the day without a crash or a punch up, like, you know, you've you've had an incredible day. I still think we got an incredible finale. Um but you're right, that puncher there of the port really it was a bit of a it was a bit of an eight pointer, if you will. Um yep. with with Vermeesh and um uh Phillipson. Phillipson coming across. Vermeesh gets there, drives it, just sort of hammers home the break, and then it was a little bit you know, it was a pretty cru- no, cruisy there for a little bit until um Matthew started lighting it up a couple of times. He was sort of thinking Tom Boonen when Boonen Went 50Ks or 60Ks solo, I think, back in 2012. I think he attacked on the same bit of pave, um, attacked on some little rise, couldn't quite make the difference. But I think he showed there that he was the one that was taking the bull by the horns, had probably, you know, the best, if not the second best legs in the race. Um, but my concern in this final group was with uh, Kung, Ghana, 
Um, maybe they were just completely cooked, but I, they didn't even really try and jump away and get in front of the race a little bit. The, the only move was Max Walshard, mm. um, which was slightly surprising. I get he is a Roubaix specialist. I think he's top 10 maybe three or four times. Um, but he was really the only move. It looked like Devin Gold might have been able to. I mean, of course we're going to say that because he was the one that um, got hamstrung. Um, but, yeah, they sort of were waiting. And as we talked about pre this race on our last podcast, that maybe there's one coming where these guys sit up, they look at each other too much, and a, and the four guys that went up the road survive because Van der Poel and Van Aert look at each other too much. Kung and Garner didn't even allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, yeah, so, I mean, I'm not 200Ks deep into a Paris Bay, so they could have been incredibly cooked and presumably, as it was the quickest Paris Bay ever, um, I'm guessing they were pretty cooked and... Um, I think in the quickest Roubaix ever, Kung, Ghana, Pedersen are pretty happy with where they finished. The interesting one's Degan Gold, but I don't know where you sit on what happened there. Um, my gut feel is it's all, it was a racing incident, I think. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it was just really bad timing. Philipson was in, in the middle of the pave, and as Matthews coming up the inside, he sort of comes across. Matthew was very lucky not to go down himself, uh, but Deacon Cole had nowhere to go but the side of the road. I think he clipped the base of a flag of a spectator, um, and it was just a it was a racing incident. But it was super unfortunate for Deacon Cole. He was crying at the finish line. Of course, you know yep. he's he's won this race before, but he hasn't been at the pointy end of a big big race like this for a, for a long time. Uh, that was his chance. I think he would have fancied himself at the velodrome. Uh, but yeah, it was unfortunate for him, but at the same time, um, this is when Wood Banner thought, you know what, this is time to go. And when he went, he went like an absolute bullet, uh, <laughs> gapped, gapped absolutely everyone. Matthew eventually came across, and then as soon as he got there, Van Aert on the radio, and Matthew must have heard that he said, I've got a puncher or something similar, went straight around him, and and then that was it. That was it, really. Wood Van Aert did an incredible job to try and stay in the wheels, but as soon as you punch up with the 15k to go or whatever at Rupe, it's the end of your day. The um, section that that happened, forgive me for not knowing the names of the sections, but um, Matthew Vanderpol set the quickest time ever recorded on that section. The second quickest was Wood Van Aert, and he had a real wheel puncher. That's... <laughs> 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 That's phenomenal where these two guys are at. Um, interesting if they do all get there together, which I don't think they ever would have, but if Woot, Matthew, Degengold, Pedersen are all there, I think I'm taking Pedersen. I don't, I don't know what a bunch sprint after 200Ks in the cobbles, those four boys. Degengold's a well-known sprinter. Um, I think Woot's quicker than Matthew. That's a, that's a, I mean, it would have been great if that happened. Four guys going head-to-head in the velodrome. Philipson, where does he where does he go in? in oh, yeah, Phil, well? Philipson's probably there as well, and Matthew does a lead out for Philipson if Philipson's there in the double I think so. Yeah, I think they could have easily played that card, but in, in the end, they had the numbers, and it probably was what made the difference. Maybe as well, that's perhaps why we didn't see guys like Kung and Garner attack because they just knew that with three guys there, the Mish. Uh, and and Philipson would probably be there to just bring them back anyway. So they thought, let's get to the velodrome, and you never know what can happen in the velodrome. 
Yeah. The only the only tactical ones I've really had was um, the fact Van Baal and Van Hoydenk weren't sitting near the front. I think they got caught out a tiny bit. Van Baal ended up crashing out, but I think they could have done with Van Baal in and around those front groups. Um, he didn't crash out until the groups were made. Um, he, I think he crashed in the Fred Wright crash, maybe, when Fred Wright went over. Um, that was one. And then the other one was when the league group of seven were wait, weighted up for Phillips and, and Vermeesh to join because Matthew was sort of running the show and Van Art technically wanted to wait for Laporte. Why didn't Garner call Pedersen work at that point to try and keep Van der Poel isolated? I, I mean, it's easier said than done, but of course, um, I feel like that was maybe an opportunity to keep that group as small as possible. Just want to catch first, you guys. I'll quick set Tim Malier, 23rd. Um, I mean, I get Casper Asbury was probably their lead and crashed. Um, but Merlier, you can, oh, Lampard, was he anywhere near the front when the groups were making? Um, I get he's a, maybe 10 years in a row would have been a top 15 finisher in Paris-Roubaix. He's probably not at the level that these guys are at now, but he just, there was their jumper just wasn't present at the front of the peloton. <laughs> uh, I'd love to be able to read uh, Flemish, Dutch, whatever, and be reading Head News Blood and seeing Patrick Lefebvre's articles. Uh, I don't know what he'd be saying, but he's got to be absolutely filthy with that cobbled campaign. Um, I'm surprised that we haven't seen anything pop up on on the Twitter. That's been absurd. That's a surprise, but. Incredibly disappointing campaign from them. Mads Pedersen, fourth Roubaix, third Flanders, fifth Dwarsdorf, fifth Gent Wevelgem, sixth San Remo. Super, super consistent, this guy. He was, he was incredible. Just couldn't quite go with Van Art and Ped, um, and Philipson on that, on that uphill kick, but he's just showed again that he's always there or thereabouts in the classics. Yeah, 100%. Um, I, I, like I said, I was one of his biggest fans leading into Paris Roubaix. Um, I still think he'll have his moment and it's probably going to be the, the, the big stage events. I think he might have his moment in around the Giro Tour. Um, in some of these hard sprints depends if all the boys are there again, but, um, that seems to be his go, even though he does perform well in the monuments. I think he's more suited to maybe a reduced sprint at the tour. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting to note, uh, your mate, uh, Worthy, um, finished the race and then ran a half, then ran a half marathon. Sorry, copped a little bit of that on the Twitter, uh, by a few people saying, um, why weren't you in the front of the race? How can you go and do a, do a half mara? Didn't try hard enough. Mm, yeah. Don't know how that's how it works. <laughs> well, he finished the race, which it wasn't as easy as it seems as they OTL three guys, which I think is harsh. Everyone else DNF'd, and there's three guys that are just tonguing it and then OTL. One's an Ineos rider and should know better in Josh Tarling. I actually think he's quite young. I think he's maybe 19 or 20. Yeah. But the two boys from the, the, the Pro Conti team of Bittergal WB who have been OTL'd at half an hour pass, just let, them, just let them finish. <laughs> it's, let bloody the stiff. finish. It's, it's bloody stiff when the Moyen of, of the race is 47k an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you stay on your bike, I think you've completed Paris-Roubaix for mine. 
Hey, um, quick name that I just want to want to throw at you. First time I've seen this name, but he's found himself in the top ten of Roubaix. I'm not sure whether this has crossed on your radar. Uh, Lorenz Rex from um, Inti into Marche Wanty, um, Belgian guy, top ten in Roubaix. Uh, that's a fantastic result. What's the story here with with Lorenz? Well, I'm, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure he's part of the four man break, um, which tends to be a smart move in Roubaix. Mm-hmm. Um, is get up the road. Uh, I also think the fellow from UAE who's 13th uh, in short bucks was also in the break. Um, and there was a Bora rider. I'm not sure where he ended up finishing um, within that. But if you get up the road, obviously it's not as easy as done because he's still held off Laporte, Vermeesh, uh, are they brothers? I'm going to presume they are. Um, he's still held the two Vermeeshes and Laporte off who were trying to gun it back to that group. So, um, yeah, kudos. Intermarche is one of my favourite teams. They always manage to compete and get top 10 finishes. Um, on the side note, it was a very weird move that Van Hoydink and Laporte were trying to get back. Um, and my only read of it was maybe they backed Laporte for a top 10 finish. Like, like it just seemed like a weird push that they were doing to get back. They were getting no help from the peloton. They were getting no help at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll, they ended up finishing four and a half minutes down. Uh, it was a weird move. Just another name, just quickly before we move on. This is sort of your hitting zone. This is why you're on the podcast. Um, Luca Mazzato, Italian rider for um, Team Archea Samsig, 21st. What can you tell us about him? Uh, Luca Mazzato. So I actually watched this this group cross the line, and there was a little sprint, which um, I find it weird. There is points on offer, as you see. There is a difference between 50 and 30 at some points in this in this peloton of UCR points. Um, and maybe Christoph loves. I think Christoph loves his resume more than anyone in the peloton. He loves. Like Christoph finished top 15 in the Paris Roubaix for the ninth time in a row. Like, so he would have been sprinting for that. So Mazzato actually finished six in this bunch sprint. So slightly disappointing for my Italian sprinters. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did beat Tim Merlier, so uh, yes. he can he can hold that high. Yep. And also our man, Yevgeny Feridov, who we discussed as Astana's highest finisher in Flanders, also took out that honour, I believe, at Roubaix with 26th. Finished on the same time as uh, Gianni Moscon, who they actually pulled out of uh, Basque Country early to go ride Paris-Roubaix. Caden Groves finished with the group. I actually thought he was maybe a little secret weapon for Elperson as well. Um, after he pulled out something pretty incredible uh, at, and I might not be able to get this right, the Volta Lindbergh Classic. Mm-hmm. Tough one-day race. He finished a minute and Lovely. a half in front, of the, in front of the group. So he's not just, I mean, he went with uh, Maxim Van Gils from Lotto. Um, but they, he didn't win a bunch sprint. He rode away from them. And that was leading into Paris-Roubaix. So I thought maybe he might be able to uh, ride well, and he did. He finished with the peloton. I mean, 31st at Roubaix, is, it's a great result, and that's his... Uh, Lindbergh was his third victory. He got two victories at, at Catalonia. So, Wellsford, um, Grove, sort of knocking at the door as Australia's next sort of marquee sprinter, perhaps. They were worried about Alperson about... Oh, 
I reckon we even mentioned on the podcast about a month ago how little UCI points they had ranked up. Mm-hmm, and now, now they're winning for fun with their three main weapons. <laughs> yeah, they've really hit the cobbles hard and delivered. That's a wrap on the cobbles. Roubaix brings an end to, to what is a, a fantastic April. Um, great time of year, but it's now time to move on to Ardennes and then we get into Grand Tour, uh, Grand Tours with the Giro, etc. Um, let's change gears slightly. Like we said off the top, we'd be discussing Tour of Basque Country, which is just wedged in, you know, this weird time of year. Everyone's focused on, on the classics up north. But Vingegaard, um, got a little bit touched up at Paris Nice. We thought, geez, he's going to have to do some work. He's gone back to wherever he trains and he has been training the house down, it seems. And he's just gone out and smoked everyone in Spain. Yeah, three stage wins. Uh, and out of the six stages, there were the three that he could win, and he won all three of them. So, um, including the last one was a, a Yumbo Master Class. Like it made every other team look like they didn't even talk on the bus before the race. They had <laughs> two men in the break, and then once men uh, that were left in the peloton, did all the work, left to like, I think it was just Vinegard Lander and Enric Mass. They then joined the break where he's got two, another two riders in the break and he just rode away. It was, a, it was honestly, it was great to watch as much as sometimes it's a little bit boring watching Vinegard win for the third time in the same tour and win by a minute on the last stage. It was actually pretty cool to watch the tactics in play. Um, but yeah, he was, he was strong with a strong team. Um, Lander was actually surprisingly strong. Um, they were going head to head a little bit, and to be fair, it actually took Vinegar a bit to drop Mikel Lander. Mm-hmm. But David Gadu and Rick Mass were slightly disappointing. I don't know where they're sitting going into the Duro and Tour. Mass is great for that sort of fifth to tenth in a one week or a Grand Tour, which is still incredible. But that's about where he's at. He needs to try and avoid these big, big riders. Um, Jon with a with a podium there, I think, as well. Jon is a gear there for copious. Great points for them. Um, Lander, where, where is he at with Bahrain? What did they do going forward GC-wise? Haven't quite been at the level that they were a couple of years ago when they were winning for fun. Um, Jack yeah. Hay, where is he at? Is Mikko Lander the man? I'm not sure what the answers are. Your thoughts? Uh, Caruso is currently riding in Sicily. Not a strong field, uh, but he's their lead there. Bill Bauer tends to be their lead at some point, and then the other two is Hagen Lander. So um, I think they've got four guys that can all finish top ten in the tour. Um, it's just if they want more. Um, when they really lit it up, it was guys like Sonny Cobrelli and Mahoric just doing stuff for fun. I remember Sonny Cobrelli podium the mountain top finish. Um, they were just crazy hot at one point. Um, but if all four of these guys can pull Sonic off, um, I think Bill Bow is the best shout for consistency, but Lander is probably the best climber. Hagee just seems a little bit off it at the moment. Sorry, Hagee. I don't know you, but sorry. Um, and Caruso just seems a little bit older. He has podium the Giro very recently. So mm-hmm. um, one thing I've learned from the Basque Country, what a beautiful place to ride and a great place to watch racing. There's a mm-hmm. lot of downhill, um, maybe a couple of descent finishes that were a bit 
dicey, but um, the the one the Bora guy won, Shelling. Yeah, yeah, dicey as. A little really bit dicey. Henrik <laughs> Mass lost like 20 seconds on that stage just because he can't descend. He's the new Illinois Zacharin, by the way. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a cool place. I mean, San Sebastian is almost my favorite place in the world, so I could see myself going over and watching the best country race. That was that was that was fun to watch. Um. All right. Well, I think that wraps up the races that we were looking to cover. Um, yep. Let's look a little bit forward now. Things change a little bit. We got Brabant's appeal, I think, happening right now as we're recording this pod. Then we have Amstel. Um, I think it's this Sunday, and then we go Fleshbull on Wednesday, Liège next Sunday. Things change a little bit. Um, who were the riders that we're expecting to see? Obviously, Tardege is going to come back out of his little week off, and Remco and Alaphilippe, who really, really need to salvage the season for Quick Step. So Liège, it's all a build-up for Liège. I get them all mm-hmm. a great race in their own right. Like, I would love to win an Amstel and on the flesh as well, but it's a build-up to Liège, which has always been seen as the one the GC guys can win out of the monuments. The sprinters race was Milan San Remo, and the Liège was the GC guys. Now it's just all just pure cyclocross guys. Um, but they don't seem to be – I don't know, but I'm not sure if they're doing Liège, these boys, the the two cyclocross boys. Um, so – I think it's a little bit hard. I think I heard Matthew in his post-race say that this is the end of his classics campaign. Fair enough. Yeah. He's won San Remo and Roubaix, have a rest son. So it's Pog, Rem, Alaphilippe as the main three. Um, how they all lead in is up to them. I think tonight is more um, some some second-class leaders without talking down on them. I think it's like a Mark Hershey, the Cosnafar. Uh, I think Arno Delee is going, surprisingly. Delee's there, yeah, big time. Um, Quentin, Quentin Herman. So, like, some good punchy guys, um, which then leads us to Amstel, which is where Pogacar will be. Um, it'll be Carapaz, who found a little bit of form. Tom Pidcock, I'm pretty sure he's going for Ineos. Um, so, it's a Anderson, who has shown him in leagues um, against Pog. Um, I don't think Remco is doing Amstel, um, but I can't wait for the, the it, it's a little finals campaign to a grand final of Remco v. Pog. Well, Remco and Julian v. Pog, mm-hmm. and how can they team up against him, and can they pull something off? Bokamolama, this is his sort of areas that he just likes to pop up in these sort of tough one-day races. I know he must be 37 now, but we continue to talk about him. Um, Simon Clark will have a sniff tonight at Brabant's Appeal. He sort of fancies himself in that sort of second tier um, start lists without being disrespectful. Um, so it's it's yeah it's a real changing of of the guard in terms of what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And I think with no Wood Van Aert, no Matthew Van der Poel, it feels like it's a real lottery again. We don't know who's going to win. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing a couple of these climbers come back into into riding. Like I, I haven't heard of Lassov this year, so um, he can be a guy who performs well on one day. As, as Enric Mass in Lombardi last year went toe to toe with Pog. I'm not sure if he's mm-hmm. in that form at the moment. Um, so it's good to see these guys come out. Um, if I had some tips, uh, I'm I'm going to go pretty strong with Pog the whole way through. But I'm looking forward. <laughs> 
it's pretty safe. I'm, I'm going to be back in the FDJ boys the whole way home. They and good deal with my boys. Um, Have you got stock in this team or something? Well, I just can't. Skin in the game. I can't miss the day Madwar wins now, so <laughs> I have to follow him the whole time until he wins. Um, yeah, so I, I think we're going to see a pong show, but I, I, I would love to see something different. EF pulled out some great Basque Country tactics with Chavez. Uh, the three Colombians, actually, Chavez, Carapaz, and uh, Rigoberto Uran. Um, if they all go to a Liège, you're going to see some fireworks from those three boys. Um, it's exciting. I'm Like I said, I'm looking forward to it. Um, hopefully Remco is at Pog level. I hope so. And we also see Tij Benut come back into the fold as well. Jumbo just reload with a bit of a different lineup, but still as powerful, you could argue. Volta, after his incredible performance at uh, Strada Bianchi, will be back in the fold. I saw that he was at uh, Bus Country as well, doing some good work. So he's in good form. Um, so, yeah, I think... It? What is Yumbo's tactic here with no Rog and Vinegard at this stage? Vinegard could surprise us and, and pop out of Liège. Um, I don't think there's any confirmation on that. But is it, is it a Volta? Is it? Yeah, I think it's those two. I think it's Benut and and Volta, uh, yeah. the ones that will get get that license. Hopefully, they can, can get we, their act we, together. We know they work well together. <laughs> so they get a mulligan at um, at Strata. Hopefully, they've, they've sorted things out. But I think with them missing out. On the victories at uh, Flanders and Roubaix, I think they'd really love to get a, a get a big one here. I don't know whether they've got the cattle to do it at Liège, just because Pogi's going to be there, and whenever he's there, you know you're in trouble. Uh, but yeah, overall, really, really looking forward to to the next week and and seeing some some different guys hopefully pop up for some victories. Just to break it right down for those, listeners, I'm going Corbin Strong tonight. Uh, just bear, bear, bear with me. You'll see why he might not win, but you'll see why I've gone Corbin Strong. And outside of our man Pog, I'll be putting a little saber in Madlar for uh, Amstel. Haven't worked out what I'm doing for the flesh or uh, Liège, based on Liège yet. I've got a bit of time. We we might touch back in um, before Liège to to reassess. See where elbows at. Yeah, see where Alex is at. Speaking of um, Alex's tips, he he does like to say that Vlasov is a is a world class rider. Still yet yes. to see. It was never convinced when he made that call. To be honest, so that's something he's going to have to live with. So teams that need to surprise us over this little bit of Stana are taking Lutsenko to all four races. So have to. Have that's to. a that's a thing. I don't know what Jaco are going to do. Simon Yates is not the man for these finishes, and I don't think Michael Matthews has got. His legs that we're probably going to see in the tour. I reckon he'll have tour legs. Um, They're so. not on the start list there to Brabant's appeal tonight, as we said, recording uh, at the same time as the race. That probably could have been a good race for Matthews to just go and clean up. I think he's won there before, perhaps when uh, when Philip Gilbert was sort of around the mark. I think he might have won this race before. Disappointing to not see them there. Uh but in terms of them for Amstel, just looking at their their start sheet. Which tends to be the team that they'll probably try and keep throughout this week, I think. Slightly underwhelming. Matteo Sobreo was really good at Basque Country. That's all I could that's all I could really say is potentially Sobreo is their man. He was going toe to toe with Simon Yates. I didn't know who was the real leader out of the two, so mm-hmm. um 
Yeah, slightly underwhelming. I think they're going to be, like we've said the whole way through, Gridaway and Matthews are getting results in the tours, and they've just got to hope for that. Yeah. Unless you got anything else to add, Max, I think we might have covered enough ground tonight for for another epi. Yeah, I'm not, that's I'm happy with what we've been able to flesh out. It really was the best fortnight of cycling probably for the year. I think the tour is up there as well. Um especially the the, the really good parts of the tour when it gets down dicey like that middle week is is up there. But that's the last two weeks. If you're a cycling fan you weren't impressed. I don't think you're a cycling fan. Despite what we said off the top of the show, potentially discussing some transgender sort of stuff, we might let that one go through to the keeper. Sorry, Alex, you're not going to get any any um, content saw, grabs from I us. There was there was a slight issue with a um, a born male rider finishing uh, third and fifth in a in a female race, and the the lady who has retired finished fourth, but she still would have finished third behind uh, the other two female riders. So. It's not my strength. Um, I'm going to leave it as well, uh, but I'm just repeating what the article was. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.